At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. We live in a culture filled with promises for a better life, deeper satisfaction, and greater purpose, but how do we know which is right? We invite you to join us for Smoke and Mirrors, deciphering truth in a world of truths, where we'll look to scripture to expose the illusions of our culture, and together, hold fast to a better answer, God's. Church family, I I don't know if you've had a chance over the last few weeks to watch any of the Olympics, but you know, it's it's the 2020 Olympics in 2021. That's made a lot of sense this year, and so... Uh, I tuned in some uh, over the last few weeks, and I, I caught one, one act where, uh, one event where uh, a U.S. Olympian competed and went through all the heats and rounds, and they, I caught the final. They competed in the final for their event, and they won. They took the gold. And they, of course, had that post-event interview, and they pull them in front of the screen, and, and they're asking them questions that are silly questions because, of course, the athlete's going to respond the same way no matter what. And they asked that question, how do you feel? And, and the athlete responded, this is the best day, the greatest day of my life. I mean, who could blame them for that, right? Like, they had trained countless hours for a really a lifetime. They had dedicated themselves, disciplined themselves, missed out on a ton of fun, I'm sure. Focus on one thing. And it turns out, at the moment of competition, after lots of moments of competition, they still had the kind of disciplined nerve and courage to face down that moment and perform and compete and come out as the greatest in the world right now. It's the greatest day of their life. Bravo. Right? Like, that was incredible. I wish I could come close to that in anything other than like being really great at sitting down on the couch. Right? Like, that's, it's maybe the thing I should compete in. But then, it, you know, you, you kind of can't help but wonder. Greatest day of your life. They're so happy. How long is that happiness going to last? Right? I wonder that because... Really, we have a question that we all ought to be asking ourselves. Why is pleasure so short-lived? How many of you know that happiness and the joys and the emotions and experiences you have in life, they they don't last forever, right? Why is pleasure so short-lived? I wonder for that athlete, greatest day of their life, happiest they've ever been, the joy was so clear in their face. Did, Did that erode or change or drop off? As they walked back into the locker room, noticed as they logged into social media that their event and accomplishment wasn't trending like they hoped it would have been. Like, no one noticed, maybe. Oh, oh no. Did that happiness stop on the car ride home? Did, did it stop the next morning when they didn't have their favorite cereal at the Continental Breakfast? <laughs> like, when did, did it stop at the next fight they had with that family member or significant person in their life? Did it stop? Is it going to stop? In a year, when they're no longer the best, they're maybe not even close to the best because someone else has been younger and fitter and more ready for that moment now. How quickly does even a gold medal kind of happy moment fade away? I've been blessed to experience incredible goodnesses. I, 
I, in my family, there is a bit of a motto. I, mean, we, I grew up in Sandusky, Ohio, and you can hold the Ohio part against me, but not the Sandusky part. Sandusky is a pretty cool town. And, and we would like go down to the water and watch the sunset over Lake Erie when the smoke from the lake fires wasn't obscuring the views. And, and we'd, we'd play at a park, or we'd uh, get to go to Cedar Point, or we'd take a family vacation. And something my dad always kind of said, it became a family motto, now it's hanging on a wall in my parents' kitchen, was, uh, man, guys, it just doesn't get any better than this. There are moments where life is good, and I've tasted those. But I also know that the goodness doesn't last. Sometimes it doesn't last because I, I decide I want something more. Sometimes it doesn't last because it gets ruined by something. Sometimes it doesn't last because like this last couple weeks where we got to hang out with uh, our family, my family, and then my in-laws spent kind of a, a week at their houses catching up with family and friends, and you, you're trying to teach your kids and help them know it's like, this is the greatest thing, isn't this so cool? We're having this awesome vacation. We're doing these incredible things. We're eating ice cream like for breakfast. This is amazing. And, you know, your kids' responses quickly tells you that it's not as amazing as you think it should be, and they're not as grateful as you're sure they should be, and isn't pleasure so short-lived, right? Man, tough, tough. Even the most enduring joy can be a short-lived sensation. Sooner than you or I want, we're hungry again. We're worn out. We're unsatisfied. We're let down. We're still not quite fully happy anymore. We were. But now we are missing something, right? In the book of the Bible, Ecclesiastes, that we've been walking through, we're seeing the musings of a teacher. King Solomon is, is who we're all pretty confident is that teacher. And he had... The disposable income and the time, and well, he was the king, so the authority to decide that he was going to drill down on what the purpose of life was. And in this passage today, he goes after this question that we have about why is pleasure so short-lived? And couldn't happiness really be the thing that makes life worth living? He decided he was going to go after any possible source of happiness and see if that was what life was all about after all. In the end, however, he discovered that the pursuit of pleasure left him disappointed, like trying to grasp at wisps of smoke. Thus, our Smoke and Mirrors series, because try after try after try, the teacher came up short. And all the truths that you or I might also go after, there's only one that ends up satisfying. So I invite you to turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 1. And in the passage, it says this. The, the teacher says, I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. That's the homework assignment right there. I'm going to test you with pleasure. Behold, here's a hint of the ending. This also was vanity. I said a laughter, it's mad. And pleasure, what use is it? 
I search with my heart how to cheer my body with wine, my heart still guiding me with wisdom, and how to lay hold of folly till I might see what good for the children of men to do under heaven during these few days of their life. And here he begins to kind of chart out all of his homework assignments. In verse 4 he says, I made great works. I built houses. I planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted them with all kinds of fruit trees. Then... I bought male and female slaves. I had slaves who were born in my house. I had great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold, the treasures of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines, the delight of the sons of man. You didn't know that was in the Bible. We're going to see it's not written exactly the way truth is usually written in the Bible. We'll get there. So I became great. That's not your life verse. I just want to make sure. Change it if it is. <laughs> so I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained with me. And whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure. For my heart found pleasure in all my toil. And this was my reward for my toil. This is an amazing resume of Solomon's homework. Of Solomon's life, really. His attempt to decide, can I find purpose, lasting value and happiness in doing whatever makes me happy. He was looking through pleasure or accomplishments or accumulation of things, and he told himself he would plunge into any happiness, whatever his heart felt like he wanted. And though this writing is from 1000 BC, really, he hit all the obvious categories for you and I today, too. Maybe all the categories of happiness that we're tempted by that we are told to pursue as well he he said i sought to cheer myself with wine he tried alcohol he describes the houses and the farms and the pools and the forests he had built and the slaves he had bought and used to build all those things and he he thought man if i can be just successful and accomplish and have this great lasting legacy i'll be happy he tried great works he also says he gathered for himself silver and gold more treasure than all the kings and provinces. He got rich. He got singers, he said, both men and women. He got all the best entertainment, all the boy bands, all the girl bands, the best DVD collection, and all of ancient worlds, right? He tried entertainment. Then he says he got many concubines, the delight of the sons of men. He tried sex. He didn't stop from anything. What a life. Let's break it down for a second. Solomon put in the work. He did the research, almost scientifically so. And he found that living for pleasure is awesome. It's going to feel weird to write down, and it should. Notice there's an ellipsis there at the end. This isn't the 30-second clip I want to go viral today. But he found that living for pleasure was awesome. He sees in verse 10, he says, My heart found pleasure 
in all my toil. This was my reward. Let's be honest, there's enjoyment, uh, legitimate happiness in any of these pursuits. Our experience tells us something similar. You've felt legitimate happiness before. When you accomplish a project, when you clean the entire house, finally, for that 30-second period of time, you're pretty happy, right? You're worn out, but you're happy. When you, when you finish that, uh, that 3D model of that fuel injection system at work, and the project is done, and you feel so good. It's a relief to have done something significant. When you finally teach that kid how to ride the bike, or you're that kid who learned how to do that new thing, it feels good. We found great pleasure in those vacations, that time at the beach, right? You get over to the, the west coast of Michigan, maybe, and you're watching the sunset over the lake and the sand and the warm breeze, and it's just life is good. You feel that joy. Maybe you find your peace, your happiness out on the boat with a line in the water waiting for a bite. I don't. Find, I find no pleasure in that. It's never worked for me. But you might. Maybe you have a hobby that relieves your stress. Like you're into knitting. Like that is just your happy spot, right? We all have things. We all do things that legitimately bring us happiness. Living for pleasure is awesome. We do that really naturally. Your kids did that exceptionally well. They learned it from you. You learned it from your parents. We all do what makes us feel good really, really well. This seems like perhaps the time to mention then a couple things. One, let's note something. Solomon goes after some great things in some wrong ways. Can we just be clear about that so we're all on the same page? Yeah, he lists all these great things he does, but he did some of these things. He went after some of these things in wrong, morally wrong ways. He clearly seems to enjoy sex outside of that God-designed man-woman-for-life relationship that God had designed from the beginning, right? He goes after pleasure there in wrong ways. He decides in order to accomplish these great things while still getting wealthy to... Bring in slaves to buy people, to chain them to their work, to deny them human dignity. He goes about some great things in some wrong ways. That's not the point of this passage. He's not getting a get-out-of-jail-free card here. He's just saying, I tried it. He also goes after some great things with some wrong motivations, doesn't he? You see throughout here all of these things I made, I made for myself. He built houses and planted vineyards for myself. He, he's got a pretty clear motivation here. He's doing this selfishly. He's not doing it in any kind of philanthropic effort. There's no Solomon the Great Foundation for the betterment of the world here, right? Like, this is for his own benefit. When you seek pleasure in sinful ways with sinful motivations, disappointment and consequences always follow. But even worse, I'll say, maybe less obviously, no matter what motivation or perhaps even no matter how you go about it, our life experience teaches us that no matter how you go about pleasure, it always seems to end up still being not enough. 
So it's no surprise, perhaps, that Solomon, having done more homework on the subject than you and I can afford to do, came to that same conclusion. Look at verse 11, where he says this. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it. And behold, all was vanity, striving after the wind. There was nothing to be gained under the sun. He piles up words here. He says, listen, this was smoke and mirrors. I tried. It seemed really great for a minute. There was genuine enjoyment there. But at the end, I was disillusioned. I was left empty. My happiness disappeared. It was meaningless. Hedonism, in that sense, pleasure-seeking, self-indulgence, hedonism failed to provide his life with sustaining meaning. So let's, let's clarify my initial point. Living for pleasure is awesome for a moment, right? Solomon discovers in looking for truth through pleasure, it's awesome for a minute. At the end of the day, the world simply doesn't provide enough pleasure to satisfy. There's always going to be a new addition, a better vacation. The fish won't bite. Someone else is going to do one better or have one more. Or you're going to decide it just doesn't feel the same anymore. Whether the pleasure comes from an experience or an accomplishment or in a possession that you have, the pleasure it brings won't last. And listen, I get it. You might be sitting here and you're like, yeah, but Ben, seriously, you don't know my life and the little I've had. If I had Solomon's resources, I'd really love to try the Solomon experiment. Like if I only could actually, like I get it. Life hasn't been always happy for me, but I can list all the reasons it hasn't. It comes with no money, no possessions, no honor, no uh, intelligence, no good relationships. I, I can tell you all the reasons why. And if I had his chance, I'm telling you, I'd be happy. It'd be enough. I want to suggest to you from the authority of the word of God that you don't have to be rich or smart or as in charge as Solomon was to already know the answer here. Your world, no matter what your world looks like, has been constantly filled with a lie that you'd be happier if only. That's been our life experience. If only you could take that trip to Disney World. If only you could get that GPA. If only you could make that team or activity. If only you could fix that relationship. If only they behaved more like. If only you could retire with this set of income. If only you could have that fit and sculpted body. If only you could have that nicer, bigger home. We need a compassionate warning from Solomon's lived experience today. Living for pleasure is only awesome for a minute. It's only awesome for a moment. Seeking lasting pleasure in what this world has to offer will leave us empty. It's common wisdom. We have sayings about this. The best day of owning a boat, right, is the day you get rid of it. We, we know this, but we fall for it all the time. 
So if the world and fun and all the things we could do can't satisfy, should we pursue pleasure at all? This is where I think things get backwards and upside down in the way that only God and his wisdom and his ways tends to lead us. And I want to reference a good friend of mine who I never met, but I know well through books, and the approach he took to realizing this backwards, upside down way of thinking. C.S. Lewis in his book, Mere Christianity, riffed on this problem. Should we even pursue pleasure? It's so fleeting, it doesn't last. And what he said is this, if I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. I was made, Lewis would elaborate, for another fulfillment. And if Lewis is right, and I believe he is, our short-lived happiness problem isn't actually a problem at all. The fact that pleasure fails to satisfy us and only lasts so long and we still are always wanting more happiness is actually a gift. Because just like hunger can lead us to a meal, our longing for lasting pleasure can lead us to a source that can actually satisfy us. The teacher provides us with a glimpse, the beginning of a journey towards that wisdom. After his extravagant pursuit of happiness, all the pleasure the world had to offer, he concluded that the best life centered around looking to God. He says over in verse 25 of chapter 2, apart from him, it's God, apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? Apart from God, how can you know happiness? He says at the end of the book in Ecclesiastes 12, This is the end of the matter. All has been heard. Fear God, keep his commandments. This is the whole duty of man. God is at the center here. Maybe we could say it like this. God is good. So live for pleasure by finding God to be the greatest good. Live for pleasure by finding God to be the greatest good. God created us with an ability to enjoy life and pleasure. These emotions, this desire, this fulfillment, it's God's idea. He created it. And he made a world for us to be able to experience small, shadow blessings and pleasures that remind us of him. When he created the world in the Garden of Eden, he created man and woman in that garden. He did it with a built-in desire for pleasure. It says in Genesis 2, 8, that the Lord planted the garden of Eden in the east, and there he put man who he had formed out of the ground. God made to spring up every tree that is functional, purposeful. No, not, not functional, not just purposeful, not just with an end in mind. He created and sprung up every tree that's pleasant to sight. It's beautiful. There's happiness there and good for food. The food could be delicious, not just nourishing. God created a built-in world with pleasure and happiness and experiences that are good. He created pleasure and intends for us to experience happiness, but here's the thing we miss. God designed us to find our greatest happiness, our greatest pleasure in him. 
He is the end and the beginning. The psalmist expresses it in this way. In your presence is the fullness of joy. At your right hand, that's pleasure forever. And he also goes on to say in Psalm 107, God satisfies the longing soul. The hungry soul he fills with good things. God is that source. We are happiest by living for God, the supreme source of our good. But there's a problem. We don't do that. Right? Adam and Eve sought happiness right at the beginning outside of that source, the creator. That destruction and death then entered the world. But to rescue us from our destruction, God moved heaven and earth and sent his son. And Jesus revealed that he came to provide the abundant, the full life, that he could reconnect us to the source of our happiness, the thing that could fulfill us forever. He said, whoever drinks of the water that I provide, they'll never be thirsty again. It's a lasting satisfaction. The water I give him will become a spring of water that fills up to eternal life. He went on to say, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Our enjoyments will become smoke and mirrors when they're detached from Jesus. Who invites us then to live for a lasting pleasure by finding our hope and our identity and our treasure and our happiness in him. God is a well that never runs dry. So only a relationship with God will provide lasting happiness and satisfaction. And the way to have that relationship, to know God, is through his son, Jesus. Finding joy begins and ends with him. Repenting of our sin, believing that Jesus died in our place and for us. When we respond to this rescue, our search for happiness has found its conclusion. No longer slaves to our rebellion, we become free to know joy and who we were made to be. No longer alone in our pain or isolation, we become adopted sons and daughters in God's family. No longer defeated in life, we become empowered by the Holy Spirit, gifted for a purpose and a work. No longer anxious about our worth or where we come from, we become baptized and sealed by the Spirit, God's recreation forever. As we grow in our relationship with him, we discover that finding him to be wholly good is our greatest happiness. Finding him to be good is our greatest happiness. And when we enjoy our creator more than the created things around us, we discover the good life. We discover that those good things around us are still good. They're just a pathway back to him. Great times, vacation stuff, they become avenues to catch glimpses of God, of the rest we can know in him, of the way he provides for us, of how good he is. Heartbreaks, disabilities, even death. Those become ways to allow God's power and God's family to be on display in our loss and our weakness because he, the one thing that matters to us, hasn't changed. 
God created me. God created you to enjoy him because he loves you. And he knows that he is the only thing that fulfills us. And so, us finding pleasure in him is the most loving and gracious thing God could offer to us. And he did that through his son, Jesus. Have you become caught up in a frenzied pursuit of happiness? If so, good. Find it in the one who can make you happy. He is good. He always will be. And we will sing of his goodness for the rest of our eternal existence when we know him. Or we will know the pain of not experiencing his eternal goodness forever if we don't. Live for pleasure by living for a God who is good so that you can say, like the Apostle Paul, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today. 